come from the Gospel of Luke, from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And I invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our Gospel lesson. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's, a, there's kind of a common theme you see in a lot of movies. Um, you, you know, you, you, see, you see a movie like I always think about The Odd Couple. You have these movies where these two folks who have nothing in common and shouldn't be friends, and yet they wind up being the best of friends. So you watch, you know, The Odd Couple, and you see Felix and Oscar fussing with each other, and yet they're great friends, but yet they're so different, and it's kind of funny. You see this in some, they call it a buddy cop movie, where you have, you have the, old, the old veteran cop who's like a day away from retirement, and he gets this punk kid that's his partner, and he can't stand him. They don't like each other. Let me do what I want, and you need to do it the right way. Ah! And by the end of the movie, they're best friends, you know, kind of like me and Tim, you know, <laughs> same thing, same thing. They should do a movie about us. When we when we pre, we did the revival in Kosciuszko, I was joking about we need to live stream our time together because that could have really been something, something. So. But I, I read an article the other day on the internet about a, um, a basketball player for the LA Clippers. Uh, he he is seven foot three from Serbia, and he's he, he's almost like. Almost like Andre the Giant again. He's so big and so gracefully clumsy that everybody loves him. And his best friend on the team is is is, is a player from New York City, kind of an inner city guy. And their their friendship is so funny because here you have this huge lumbering Serbian basketball player whose best friend is a black guy from New York, and like they shouldn't have anything in common. But they're best friends, and they hang out all. They stretch together. They shoot together. They 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 go. They hang out together off the court. It's just funny to see these two folks that shouldn't have anything in common wind up becoming really dear friends. I think that's kind of one one of the cool things we can see sometimes in life. Even even in the out of the movies, you have a friend who has nothing in common with you, who you dearly love, and who you can't stand, and they drive you crazy. It may be it's your spouse. I don't know. But there's somebody in your life who you love, who you just can't understand how they do things they do. You know, uh, we, we see that quite often. Today's scripture gospel passage was not one of those thrilling passages. You know, when we get into the gospels and you read all the, um, you read all the genealogies and the listing of names. It's, it's very easy to just kind of skip past that, not even, not even worry about it. But uh, my, my, my friend Sam Morris used to always say, there's nothing in the Bible that's there accidentally. There's something we can learn from each part of Scripture. So today we see uh, a listing of the disciples. And there's, there's y'all, there's literally 
millions of pages that have been written about the disciples throughout church history. I mean, you could, you could read fascinating books about any, uh, any of the disciples. Um, we know many of them. There's two, two in particular today that I want to kind of, kind of focus on, uh, that, that I think are very interesting, uh, in this reading we read today. First is Matthew. The other is Simon. Now, Matthew, if you uh, remember from last week, well, you might not remember, Matthew was a tax collector. And if you remember from last week, and I know each of you commit every word that I say to heart, and you go home, and, and I, I know last week's sermon is as fresh on your mind as, you know, you just I know it's deep buried within you. But for those of you that might, for the couple of you that might not have remembered the pertinent details of last week, Matthew was a tax collector. And that, and we always make the joke about ha, 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 tax collectors. But the way Rome did things was this. Rome would conquer land. They would conquer countries. And really all they wanted out of these conquered lands was for them to pay their taxes. That's really all. They didn't care how you administered yourself, how you worshiped, any of these type things. As long as you paid your taxes, Rome was good with you. That's all they worried about. The way Rome did that is they would hire natives to that country to collect taxes. So for Persia, they hired Persian individuals to be tax collectors. For Greece, they hired Greek individuals to be tax collectors. That's how they did it. So in the Holy Land, they hired Jewish individuals. So the Jewish tax collectors were those who were Jewish who collected taxes for Rome. And they were hated. I mean, they were the worst of society. Notice how often Jesus is hammered by the religious leaders for hanging out with tax collectors. It wasn't because they didn't want to pay their taxes. It was something deeper. The tax collectors were individuals who were Jewish, who worked for the enemy. They worked for Rome. Tax collectors were traitors to their own people. They had betrayed their people, betrayed their religion, betrayed everything about them to work for Rome. They were traitors. And traitors throughout human history have never been popular. No one's ever liked a traitor. But that wasn't just it. They were thieves. They extorted. If you owed money to Rome, the tax collectors would say, you pay Rome what you owe. You pay, if you owe Rome 100 bucks, you're going to pay me 300 if you don't pay me $300, then the Roman legion will be here to get you. So they worked for the enemy and they used the power of the enemy to steal from their own people. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were the worst. Okay, over to proper Jewish society. You kind of had four major groupings of people in Jewish society. You had your Sadducees. Your Sadducees were the religious leaders that were affiliated with the temple. So all of your chief priests were Sadducees. Okay. Then you had your Pharisees. Pharisees were the rabbis that taught in the synagogue. Notice Jesus was called a rabbi, called a teacher, as Jesus said. Many of the people today would have thought of Jesus almost like a Pharisee because he was a religious leader. He taught the law. So you have Sadducees affiliated with the temple. You had you had your Pharisees with the synagogue. Then you had another group, the Essenes. The Essenes, they withdrew from society. They basically were monks. They withdrew from society. They moved out to the Dead Sea area. The Dead Sea Scrolls you've heard so much about, that was an Essene text. They withdrew from Jerusalem, withdrew from the community, and went to the Dead Sea. 
and prayed and fasted and waited for the return or waited for the coming of the Lord. Okay, those are your kind of your big three groups. But then you had one more group that wasn't as big as those other ones. It was more political in nature, but it had a lot of power. The zealots. We see that among Jesus' disciples, you had Simon, who was a zealot. We hear a zealot, we're like, oh, zealots. They were zealous. They were excited. Zealous, being zealous is a good thing. Having zeal is a good thing. We see in the scriptures, be zealous for good works. So a zealot, cool. That means they were excited people. They drank too much caffeine. Good for them. What's what the zealots were? The zealots had a long history in Jewish tradition, going back to the Maccabees. The Maccabees, if you go back and read Jewish history in the apocryphal, they were a group, a family that basically fought off Greece. When Greece was in charge for about a hundred year period, the Maccabees beat back the Greeks and had a little bit of freedom for a time. The Zealots were a political group that wanted to drive out the oppressors. The Zealots were always trying to ferment revolution. They were always working to get people to throw off the Romans. They were always trying to get rid of the Romans. Barabbas, remember him? They said, Jesus of Barabbas. Barabbas was most likely a zealot. Because the only way Rome was going to crucify you is that they wanted to make an example of you. They talked about how Barabbas was a murderer. So Barabbas, most scholars think, was a zealot. He was one that was trying to start a revolution against Rome. Zealots would have gladly given their life to kill a Roman soldier. They would have gladly been killed in the process of killing a Roman. Good sacrifice in their minds. They despised the Romans and wanted to take as many of them out as possible. They despised them. The only group, the zealots, hated more than the Romans were the tax collectors. The zealots would keep a dagger around their belt so at the right moment they could kill a Roman or tax collector. The regular proper society hated the tax collectors. Multiply that by a thousand. You have the zealot's perspective on the tax collectors. They hated them. So isn't it interesting that among Jesus' disciples, we see Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Simon, who was a zealot. In no way, shape, or form should these two individuals have ever been able to work together or trust each other. Matthew had spent his entire life looking over his shoulder for someone like Simon, who was coming to kill him. Matthew had spent his entire life being afraid of people like Simon. Because all Simon wanted to do was kill Matthew and other tax collectors. He spent his whole life looking like this, looking for him. And all Simon had ever wanted to do was get rid of those scum like those Romans and get rid of the worst scum like those tax collectors. If we could ever get rid of them, then we'd be in business. These two guys should have hated each other. 
These two guys should have been afraid of each other. These two guys should have had nothing to do with one another. There was literally nothing about their past, nothing about their lives, nothing about their callings, nothing about their jobs, nothing about their views, nothing about their politics, nothing about these two individuals that should have in any way, shape or form giving us anything but pure hatred and fear. That's what we should have seen with these two. Yet what do we see in the, what do we see in the text? They were able to work together. They were able to be disciples together. They were able to have a common goal to serve Jesus Christ. And through their shared efforts, they changed the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That shouldn't have happened. That should not have been the case. That's not how things work in the real world, son. Pull your head out of the clouds and let's get real. That's not how things work. But yet they did. Why? Jesus. Jesus. That's the answer. One of my mentors in seminary, teachers, Dr. Nick, used to always talk about this. The seminary I went to was um, an interesting place. Uh, y'all, y'all, I've often said, you know, y'all know I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a theological mutt. I'm a, I'm a Methodist preacher that went to a Baptist college and a Presbyterian seminary. So at the time, I don't feel like I know of what I am. And Dr. Nick used to always talk about this because the seminary I went to, Memphis Theological, was an interesting campus. We had over 30 denominations on campus. It was Cumberland Presbyterian, and there's like three of them left in the entire world. There's Methodist and Baptist and Episcopals and Catholics and Pentecostals and all manner of Christians. So you'd have some classes where you'd have all types of opinion because you got all kind of folk in there. And Dr. Nick would always say this. If we put our differences in the center, we will destroy each other. But if we put Jesus Christ in the center, then our differences are beautiful. So the challenge is always this. What is in the center of our relationships? What is in the center of our church? What is in the center of our families? Because if Jesus Christ is in the middle, then our diversity is beautiful. Because we're then all walking towards the same goal. We're all walking towards the same purpose. But if we put our differences with each other in the center of our relationships, we will destroy each other. If our differences make up the center of our relationships, we will destroy each other. But if Jesus Christ is in the center of our lives, then it's beautiful. Because the Bible says he will draw all men to himself when he was lifted up. I look at C.S. Lewis. Everybody loves C.S. Lewis. I don't care what denomination you're part of. You love C.S. Lewis. Because he he preached mere Christianity, the simple truths of Christianity. But I guarantee you, if you love C.S. Lewis like I do, you dig down below the surface and look at other things, you're going to find 15 things about him you don't like. 15 things about him you disagree with. 15 things about him you think he's wrong about. But if Jesus Christ is at the center 
of our lives. If Jesus Christ is at the center of our world, if Jesus Christ is at the center of our church, then God can use these differences to help everyone find a place at the table. Jesus Christ died for the world. But only Jesus Christ can draw us together. And only Jesus Christ can knit us together. And only Jesus Christ can make something beautiful out of all of these things. When he is in the center, when he is in the middle, then he makes all things beautiful. We have disagreements in this church. We don't all like to worship together the same way. I, I tell people it's interesting. If you look at my religious history, my preaching history, I've preached in everything from a robe to blue jeans. My last church I served before, before I came here was all contemporary. They can't believe I wear robes. But the church I was at before that was traditional, so I wore robes. And they can't believe I ever preached in blue jeans. And I, I always told um, my worship leader at Asbury that I'm not a charismatic worshiper. I'm just not a, I'm not a hand raiser. And so I used to always tell us, that, Kelly, if you see my hands go up, you better get right with Jesus because something's fixing to go bad. I said, if I ever in worship, my hand goes up, I got to slap it back down. That's just, you know, that's just not who I am. But I thank the good Lord that we have that option here at St. Matthew's. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about individuals coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because he is what matters. Our differences will tear us apart. But Jesus Christ, when he is in the center, will bring us together. It always goes back to what is in the center of our relationships. In this church, we have a variety of opinions about everything. About politics and religion and everything. And it would be very easy for us to tear each other apart because of these differences. But if Jesus Christ is the one to whom we bend our knee, we can work together. Even if we vote different. Or even if we worship different. Or even if whatever. But if he's not in the center of our life together, we will destroy each other. What was the line from one of the founding fathers? I think it was Patrick Hale. Either we, I don't remember, I wouldn't hail somebody. Either we all stand together or we all swing separately. When Jesus is in the center, it's beautiful. When our stuff in the center, it, we destroy each other. I had a friend of mine that was a pastor in North Mississippi. And um, in this church he's worshipped at, he had a, had a, a guy in the church who was um, a legislator at the state capitol. He was uh, chair of the Appropriations Committee. The Appropriations Committee controls the purse strings of the state. And they're usually pretty powerful and usually both loved and hated. Well, usually they usually fuss for the governor. Well, in this church that he served, occasionally the governor would come to town and would worship with them. And the governor... And the appropriations chair, they did not like each other. Politically or personally, they just, they were not fans of each other. So he said it'd be kind of tense on those Sundays. They'd both be in church together because you didn't know what was going to happen. He said one Sunday on a, on a first of the month like this, came time for communion. He said they did the liturgy. He invited them down. He said there he found kneeling together at the table together right beside each other was the governor and the appropriations chair, both kneeling down to receive the sacrament together. 
when Jesus Christ is in the center, we can disagree, we can argue, we cannot be on the same page, and that's okay because it makes us better. But if our stuff is in the middle and we make our differences what we trumpet above all else, we'll destroy each other. Under no way, shape, or form should Simon and Matthew have been able to work together for Jesus. But because they placed him first, they could. Friends, that's the good news of grace. That when Jesus Christ is lifted up, he will draw all of us to himself. Today, in my life, because I love you. No matter what you believe, no matter how you vote, no matter how you like to worship, I don't care. I don't care. I love you. I'm your pastor. I'll sit here to love you. Whether I agree with you or not, or whether you agree with me or not, it doesn't matter. I love you. And there's nothing special about me. I'm just a guy from Bogachetta. What do I know? But the same God that calls me to love you, the same God that calls you to love each other, calls you to love me. When Jesus Christ is in the center, he will draw us together in our battle always, 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 always is to make sure that Jesus Christ is in the center above all else. So today, today in your life, today in my life, and most importantly, in the life of this church, may we make sure that Jesus Christ is always in the center, always leading, always guiding, always directing. And if he is in the center, all will be well. May we live with the assurance that comes from being his children. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you now for your grace and mercy. Thank you now for this power you have to help us to work together for your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. We ask it all in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. This morning, we do invite you to uh, join with us for our service of Holy Communion. We invite you to turn to page 12 in the back of your hymnal. I'm sorry, in the front of your hymnal. Or back, maybe, maybe 12 in the back of your hymnal. I don't know. You might, have a, you might have a different hymnal than I do. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him and who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were formed, or you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life upon the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. Your spirit anointed him to preach to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce the time had come when you would save your people. By the baptism of the suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. On the night when he gave himself for us, he took bread. He gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here. And these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other. We want to minister to all the world till Christ comes in final victory. We feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours now, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. This table does not belong to me or to St. Matthew's or to really any religious group, but this table is Christ's table. And all who wish to come to Christ's table are welcome. Today we'll receive communion through intinction. Uh, the stations will be in front of the altar rail. We invite you to come and receive there. Uh, the altar will be open for prayer after you have received. Also be aware that our far left station will be a gluten-free station if you are in need of a gluten-free option. And when we start in just a moment, we'll invite those in the balcony to come down and receive first. And then we'll invite you on the floor to come as you are led by the ushers. At this time, we're going to invite those forward who will be assisting with Holy Communion. <laughs> 